Our text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Read verses 1 through 25. This is about the use of spiritual gifts in the city of Corinth, or the church of Corinth. One of the things we discover in the New Testament is when the Apostle Paul wrote his letters, the vast majority of them are written to churches, to congregations, to God's people when they uh, are gathered together. There's, there's just the odd one that is written as a pastoral letter to Timothy, to Titus, and to Philemon. But the vast majority are about the churches and what happens and was happening in those churches. And we've already seen from chapter 12, chapter 13, and now into chapter 14, that the Apostle Paul is dealing with this great subject of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. So let's read from 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1. Very important passage of Scripture. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers... If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 
In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Now, Father, as we come to hear your word, we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand this passage which is before us. It's a very important, significant passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthians so long ago, yet so pertinent and so relevant for us to understand. We pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding, for comprehension. We pray that we might see the benefit of what Paul is saying here and apply it to the situations we may encounter in our own day and age. So we praise you and thank you for these things. Thank you for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head. We are the bride. We are the body. And we thank you that our Lord Jesus is risen from the dead, seated, exalted at your right hand, and that the church of Christ, his people on earth, is under him. So we commend ourselves to you now and ask your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> one of the significant things about a church, one of the true things about a church is that it is made up of Christians. There are, of course, in churches, uh, people who are not Christians. They come, they listen, but they have no comprehension, no saving knowledge of the Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul writes his letters to the churches, he's writing primarily to people that he knows are Christians. He understands there will be unbelievers. He even talks in this passage about even unbelievers entering into the church of God, into the congregation. But by and large, everything that is said by the Apostle Paul is directed primarily to these congregations and to this church that now is in existence in Corinth. And we have discovered, as we have been going through 1 Corinthians, that there were a lot of problems in the church at Corinth. And I think one of the reasons why God the Holy Spirit has given this letter for us, for our instruction, for our benefit, is because we need to see and understand about the problems that Paul exposes and reveals. Because problems in a church all find themselves uh, residing in the heart of people. They come from us. They come among us. And so Paul is giving us very beneficial instruction to these churches for our benefit, for our good. So I hope to show you this morning from this very important passage, and it is a very important passage. It builds on chapter 12 and chapter 13 uh, about spiritual gifts. The importance in a church for spiritual gifts and what they mean to us as a congregation and as Christians. So chapter 14 
is primarily about the use of spiritual gifts in a local congregation, first of all, primarily in the church that exists in Corinth. I want you to notice that Paul, in particular, falls upon two spiritual gifts. And he makes mention of them. The first one is, of course, prophecy, and the second one is speaking in tongues. There's a lot of confusion today and a lot of chaos today in the minds of people, in congregations of God's people, about what these gifts are and what they mean. It's very important, I think, that we all understand what they meant for Corinth. And then, from that understanding, we derive the true nature of these spiritual gifts, and then, having understood the true nature of those gifts, we can see whether they apply to what we find today in many, many churches. So we need to understand what these gifts are and why Paul addresses them. Are they for today? Or are they not? We have already concluded, I think, quite strongly from chapter 13, verses 8 through 13, that they, these gifts are no longer necessary because they were simply of a revelatory nature. This was revelational. So prophecy and speaking in tongues was revelation that was being given at that particular time while the scriptures were being written and were being complete. But now that we have in our hands this complete revelation from God, from Genesis to Revelation, the book of Revelation, we no longer need what Paul called in chapter 13 the partial gifts. These partial gifts, gifts in part, like speaking in tongues and like prophecy. So these gifts then act as a bridge, and this is what I want you to understand, from chapter 13 into chapter 14, that when Paul talks about tongues and prophecy, those gifts in his mind are simply a bridge until God has completed his progressive revelation, namely the Bible that you now hold, Genesis through Revelation, in your hands. And so I think as a result of that, uh, the fact that it's a bridge, that many people don't understand what that means, that therefore there is much misunderstanding and much misuse about these spiritual gifts today. And we need to resolve that. And I think Paul resolves that so beautifully here in chapter 14. Now I want to suggest to you that what is said to be speaking in tongues today, and be clear what I say here, what is said to be speaking in tongues today is not the gift that existed in the church at Corinth. That what we see today is not what Paul is talking about at all in the church at Corinth. In fact, I believe that the true gift of speaking in tongues, prophecy, existed in the church at Corinth in Paul's day. The problem in Corinth, of course, with so many things, was they abused everything. They abused their use of the spiritual gifts. They wanted to be preeminent. They wanted, they wanted position. They wanted prestige. That happened in their personal relationships, in their business relationships, in their marriage relationships, and even in their friendships in the church. I support Paul, I support Peter, and so on. They were divided. They were a very divided congregation because they were so taken up with themselves. They were a very gifted people. 
So what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that the gifts that are in evidence in Corinth are the true gifts that the Apostle Paul has already mentioned in chapter 12 and talked about in chapter 13. It is not some unintelligible jargon or gibberish. That was not the gift in Corinth. It is not some personal or private prayer language, not some heavenly language that is given to an individual that they can commune between themselves and God as if it's a personal gift. No, what we find in Corinth, what we find mentioned by the Apostle Paul is the true gift and the use of the gift is the issue that Paul is trying to resolve. So, what do we understand about speaking in tongues from all that we've said in chapter 12 and chapter 13? We understand from the Bible that the true gift of speaking in tongues is the ability to speak a foreign human language. Some language you do not know, but because God has gifted such and such a person with the speak gift of tongues, they are able to speak in a foreign language. And what is necessary also is, of course, the gift of of interpretation so that that whatever is said in the language may be understood by the entire congregation so let's remind ourselves that the problem of Corinth which can be problems among ourselves is this pride of place prominence and preeminence that they in their use of spiritual gifts whatever those gifts were they liked the most public and the most public gifts are tongues and prophecy those communicative gifts where people speak and are upheld by others. Now, it is also vogue, in vogue in conservative Christian circles today, that speaking in tongues in Corinth was gibberish. I want to suggest to you that that is absolutely not what was taking place in the church at Corinth. Uh, Yes, there are the ancient mystery religions. They have always existed. Out of the Garden of Eden sprung these, these things that have through time worked themselves out in the history of mankind. Ancient mystery religions that require these funny kind of things, these rites that nobody can know about. They're secret. Yes, it's true. The Corinthians were very familiar, just like ancient Greece was very familiar with the oracle at Delphi, up there in the mountains where you could go and theoretically have your fortune told. And of course, the oracle at Delphi was under the, the influence of hallucinogenic drugs, potions at that time, so that it appeared that she was able to have these visions and communicate those visions. Much like you would find if you used peyote today in a sweat lodge and you discovered that some vision came to you. And that has existed in ancient religions and the religions that we find in the world. So here, what I'm suggesting to you in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is going to talk to us about the proper use, the right use of the right gift for the Corinthians. Corinthians who, by the way, loved their own voices and their own praise and their own superiority. Now, this is a long chapter, isn't it? 40 verses. It can be divided broadly into two halves. I read you the first half this morning, verses 1 through 25. Paul is describing what was happening in the church at Corinth. 
You should write that down. Paul is describing what was happening in the church at Corinth. But in verses 26 through 40, the second part of the chapter, Paul describes what should be happening in the church at Corinth. So here you have two broad divisions, what was happening in the church, verses 1 through 25, and in the latter part, 26 through 40, what should be happening in the church at Corinth. One of the things you discover when you read the first 25 verses is that Paul lays a lot of stress upon the need for edification. He uses that phrase, to be built up, or not be built up. That's the word for edification, to be edified. That's what a congregation does when it comes together, and when we talk among ourselves, and when we sing together, and listen to the preaching of the word. The whole idea of you hearing the preaching of the word is that you might be built up, edified, strengthened in your faith. That was not happening in Corinth. So put that in your mind. Edification was not taking place in Corinth. And in verses 26 through 40, the Apostle Paul, in order to reverse that, he talks about order in the church. And that order in the church is needed, and order in the church was something also that was not happening. So I want you to notice these two issues. Look at verse 12, first of all. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager, I mean they're hungry, right, for a demonstration of the Spirit, for the manifestations of the Spirit, what does Paul say? Strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to edify. So what's his goal? His goal when the church of the Corinthians gathered together, since they want to see a visible demonstration of the Holy Spirit among them, Paul says, I'll tell you the secret to that. The secret is that each of you should strive to excel, to be the very best with what God has given you in building up the church. And that's the whole point of spiritual gifts. Every one of us has a spiritual gift, or more than one spiritual gift. The whole purpose of that is to edify one another, is to build one another up. If you want to see God working among you, if we want to see God working among us, Paul tells us the secret right here. Strive to excel in the gift that you have for the benefit, for the edification of others. So I must make sure, and you must make sure, that in your service, because you are a Christian, and because God has gifted you with a spiritual gift, because He has made you a believer, saved you by grace, that you must ensure that you are building up the church, the congregation. That's what the word edification means, to build up. Then, will you look secondly at verse 40, last verse, right? But all things should be done decently, and in order. So what's Paul talking about? He's talking about worship, right? When a congregation gets together and spiritual gifts are in evidence, when the worship is taking place, the worship of God, Paul says it must always be this way. 
let everything be done decently and in order some some order to your service and be decent it's not just chaos it's not haphazard no there's something that's decent about it something that's good and right about it something that's holy about it let everything not some things but all things he says be done decently and in order so the big idea so far in these verses 1 through 25 is the need for edification for being built up now let me show you that a little bit if you look at verse 2 it says in verse 2 that if you speak in a tongue that nobody understands no one understands right and then if you look at verse 4 the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church I want you all to speak in tongues, verse 5, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. For what reason? So that the church may be built up. You see again this desire for building up. Verse 12, of course, strive to excel in building up the church. Look at verse 17. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So when Paul talks about the use of prophecy and tongues in verses 1 through 25 his whole purpose is to ensure that the Corinthians aim at edifying others edifying one another it's not for themselves when you come to church it's not about you it's about God right I mean we talk about the worship of God we worship God we don't worship ourselves we haven't come here to get a kick that will help us through the week. We have come here to humble ourselves and worship our holy God, to be in His presence, to learn more about Him, so that we can love Him better, that we can serve Him in this way, as Paul describes, strive to excel in the use of your gifts for the benefit of others, for the building up of the church. So, having said that, if you're going to use tongues... If you're going to use prophecy, you Corinthians, in verses 1 through 25, then you should aim to build others up. So now, I want to consider these verses with you, verses 1 through 25. There are four things I want to point out to you. First of all, number one, in verses 1 through 5, tongues are not the best gift. Verses 1 through 5, tongues are not the best gift. Second, verses 6 through 12, tongues benefit no one by themselves. Tongues benefit no one by themselves. Third, in verses 13 through 19, tongues always, always, every time require interpretation. They are of no value without interpretation. So tongues, verses 13 through 19, they always require interpretation. Number four, verses 20 through 25, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Now if that doesn't convince you, sign, tongues are a sign for unbelievers about speaking in tongues today, then I don't know what will convince you. Each of those points, right, tongues are not the best gift, Tongues benefit no one by themselves. Tongues always require interpretation. And tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Each one of those points eliminates at the very outset that the gift of tongues, the use of tongues, is not some private gift. 
It's not a private gift. It's not a personal private gift that you use back in your closet by yourself to communicate with God. In fact, if you used English, God would understand you perfectly. Perfectly. Doesn't require anything else, right? So, and if you, by the way, know French or know Italian and you pray to God in French or Italian, God would still understand you perfectly, right? You, this is not some private, heavenly, personal language that you take into your closet and you have an interaction, a special interaction between you and God, and therefore it's special to me. It's not what Paul's talking about. It's not what this is about at all. In fact, Paul's entire stress in this chapter is that prophecy and tongues are for other people. Not for himself. Not for yourself. Not for an individual Corinthians, personal, spiritual life, but always for the benefit of other people. Just like every other spiritual gift. If you have the gift of administration, or the gift of serving, or the gift of helps, or a word of wisdom, whatever that gift is, it's not for you, it's for the congregation. It's for the building up, the edifying of others. So let's look at these first opening verses, 1 through 5. Tongues are not the best gift. And you know, the one thing we can say about edification, about being built up, right, is that it presupposes some understanding of spiritual gifts. In other words, how did you get edified? What, what made you be built up? What is it that is connected to that? Edification, according to Paul, will only be, from chapter 13, effective and powerful if it is governed by love. Right? Love governs everything. We've already found that out in chapter 13. That use of love is not about your romantic love, your private life. That use of chapter 13, right, is all about using, using spiritual gifts and relationships in the congregation, the church of God. That's why Paul says in verse 1, look at 14 verse 1, pursue love. Right? Pursue love. Number two, he says in verse one, and earnestly desire. Don't neglect spiritual gifts, he says. Especially, notice that, that you may prophesy. So right out the gate, the first thing Paul says is that prophecy is the big thing. Right? Especially that you may prophesy. So the point of edification, the point of being built up, is that you understand what is being said. That's the whole point of edification. How can I be edified if I don't understand what is being said? How can I be built up in my Christian faith unless I understand, unless I comprehend the truth? If I hear, I mean, if someone came in this morning and started speaking in Italian or French, and I don't understand Italian or French, how does it benefit me? I don't understand. You see, understanding is at the heart of edification. The use of spiritual gifts is for edification, but understanding is part of that. You need to understand in order to be built up, to be edified. So if, I, some, if you speak in some foreign language, how does someone be built up if they do not comprehend or understand? So speaking in tongues, the gift, the true gift can only be understood by someone who knows the language. So, for instance, uh, Wojciech and Camilla speak Polish. If someone came in here and spoke Polish, they would understand that person. 
clearly. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't understand them. So I would have to say to Wojciech and Camilla, please tell me what they said. And when they tell me, I say, oh, I get it. I understand. And when you understand, when Paul talks like this, when you understand through the use of spiritual gifts, the truth of God, you are built up. You are edified in the faith. So it's as if God knows what you're saying. Look at verse 2. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. God certainly understands what's been said. Whatever language has been heard in Corinth, he understands all of those things. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So prophecy, uh, prophecy is understood since the simple reason is that you know what is being said. You comprehend, you understand what is being said through the gift of of prophecy but if someone speaks in a tongue God knows but nobody else knows and so nobody is edified because of the lack of knowledge so Paul's focus is on you need to understand what you're hearing and when you understand what you hear through the use of spiritual gifts speaking in tongues which is only going to be through interpretation or prophecy then you are edified then you are built up and strengthened and you'll notice what Paul says in verse 5 he says that prophecy is greater than tongues. I want you all to speak in tongues. It's a wonderful gift, he says. But even more to prophesy. Notice that. I want you to prophesy more. Why is that? Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. What is the defining feature between them? Comprehension. If you, speak, if you give a prophecy, people understand. So if you came into Corinth and you spoke Greek, the Corinthians would say, aha, we know exactly what you're saying. But if you came in there speaking some of the foreign uh, barbaric languages, they would say, what are you talking about in the tongue? So prophecy is, much, is obviously clearer and right and you can understand it and the focus is on understanding. Therefore prophecy, because you can understand it straight off the bat, is better and beneficial to you. Notice the goal of the use of tongues. Look at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So prophecy builds up the church, right? That's what he says. Verse 5, he says, Unless someone interprets the use of tongues, there will be no edification. So interpretation would build up the church because everybody would hear and understand. That's why superior... Uh, Prophecy is superior because tongues mean nothing without interpretation. So, what do you know so far about edification? It is there, needs understanding, right? So what Paul is saying here is, look, tongues by themselves do not bring about understanding. Therefore, they are not the best gift. But prophecy is quite clear. You understand it straight away. You comprehend what is said. It is a better gift. It's a greater gift, he says. So that's the first thing. Tongues are not the best gift. Contrary to what some people say today, speaking in tongues, oh, that's the thing. You've got to speak in tongues. If you haven't spoken in tongues, you know nothing. In fact, we're not even sure about your faith. Right? And if you're unable to speak in tongues, you need more faith and all of that. Where does Paul ever say anywhere in the New Testament that if you can't speak in tongues, you lack faith? 
Nowhere. He says it nowhere. This is what he says here about the gift and the use of tongues. So secondly, notice in verses 6 through 12 that tongues, therefore, benefit no one by themselves. So look at verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching? Something that they can understand. So if you don't understand the tongue, how will you profit from the tongue? You won't even know what's being said. So if Paul, in order to, dis- to communicate something that can be understood, he would use teaching, prophecy, some revelation, some knowledge that can be comprehended, that can be understood, and the result is edification. In fact, even musical instruments, he says, require a, a-, a blending of notes, right? Just one note is not sufficient. It requires much more than one sound or one note to make sense or to get a response. Musical instruments need other musical instruments. Some instruments don't sound good by themselves. That's why you have orchestras. because They sound beautiful when they're all together. There's benefit from the harmony, right? So, if you want to listen to a flute being played, if just one note is being played, or the start of one note is played, you, you, won't, have a, you won't have an understanding of what it is. But when notes are played, and there's other instruments contributing to it, you understand what is being play, played, and so on. I mean, bugles are only of value to a soldier if they sound out some coherent melody or tune or whatever it is. If the bugle just gives one sound like that, what soldier is going to jump out of his tent with his sword wrapped on? None. You know, say, what was that? Right? No, they need the right sound to be understood. And so when instruments give a coherent sound, there is going to be a response. A response. When tongues are right, when prophecy is right, there's going to be a response because you comprehend. And tongues, of course, need interpretation to be understood so if no one understands you look at verse 9 so with yourselves right if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible how will anyone know what is said you will be speaking into the air no one will comprehend you no one will understand what you are saying and you see that little phrase not intelligible that relates to the simple fact that you don't understand the language the tongue you don't comprehend it And the not intelligible of verse 9 is countered by, look what he says in verse 10. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. So if with my tongue, verse 9, I add a speech that is not intelligible, which which is explained, there are many, doubtless many, verse 10, different languages in the world, and all of them have meaning. None is without meaning, Paul says. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, verse 11, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So the not intelligible of verse 9 is not gibberish. The not intelligible is the fact that you don't understand the language that's been spoken. There are many languages. And unless you know them, you cannot comprehend them. The one thing about languages, your language, the language we speak, is that they all have meaning. They mean something. That's how we have conversations with each other, right? I mean, when we talk to each other, we know what each other is saying. We understand, we comprehend conversation. So all languages have meaning, but you have to know them. 
If you don't know the language, what, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. The person's a foreigner to you, and you're a foreigner to them. So in order to get some benefit from whatever is spoken, you have to comprehend it. So tongues by themselves benefit no one because they're unintelligible. You can't comprehend what they're said. So if you want some spiritual benefit or spiritual profit, verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church, meaning strive to excel so that people might understand what you're saying and comprehend the truth. Aim to edify, is what Paul says. So tongues benefit no one just by themselves. Thirdly, verses 13 through 19, tongues always require interpretation. You know, if I were to go away to a foreign country and preach in English, where no one can understand English, I would need an interpreter. I would need a translator. I would need someone to stand next to me and when I say in English what I'm saying, that they then would translate so that the people hearing would comprehend. Without the interpretation, nothing. It means nothing. It's just air. It's just noise in the air. Empty sounds, right? I need an interpretation. Look at verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is Paul talking about? What does he mean by that? Notice that a tongue that is uttered by itself without interpretation in verse 14 is unfruitful. One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he might have interpretation. Because unless you have interpretation, speaking in the tongue is of no value. Even the speaker, Paul says, cannot understand what is being said. And this, by the way, I think is the true nature of speaking in tongues. Even the speakers did not truly comprehend what they were saying because it was a gift. They didn't know these languages. They just came upon them like the day of Pentecost when Peter is speaking and Peter is not speaking in uh, Latin or Greek. He's probably speaking in Aramaic to the Jews that were gathering, but the Jews that lived outside of Judea and Jerusalem, they all heard in their own language. So there was something that was going on there that was communicating to them in their own language what Peter was saying to a congregation of Jews that he talked to every day. Whether it was Hebrew or Aramaic. So a tongue uttered by itself without interpretation profits no one, is unfruitful. And I think even the speaker cannot understand because Paul says my mind, verse 14, is unfruitful. I don't understand. That's all it means by my mind is unfruitful. I don't comprehend. It's of no benefit. It's of no good to me. So he knows that he's engaging in something that is spiritual because he uses that little phrase, in his spirit. And notice Paul now talks about praying in a tongue. And yet of what value would that be if no one comprehended it? Right? If I sing in my spirit, Paul says... I can understand with my mind. But let me remind you that singing is not a spiritual gift at all. Right? If all of this is internal in my spirit, well, this is what Paul is saying at the moment, right? If I'm using tongues like this, how does anyone benefit if it's just internal? Look at verse 16 and 17. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen? 
to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Why? Because they don't understand. Right? They don't understand. So, the spiritual gift that operates internally affects no one, benefits no one. In fact, they don't even know what you're saying. They cannot say amen to what you're saying. They don't know. And the result is the other person, verse 17, is not edified, is not built up. Now, if such internal exercises, praying in my mind, in my spirit, I should say, are unfruitful to the hearers, because they don't hear it, they are also unfruitful, I think, even to the user. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So I want to know then, well, what do you suggest, Paul? Right? Even though Paul himself, you'll notice from verse 18, has the gift of tongues. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So even though Paul has a greater gift than the Corinthians had, he says, verse 19, I would rather speak five words that people can understand me than 10,000 words in a tongue that they cannot. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've observed some of these charismatic services where there's just a whole bunch of people talking. I don't understand any of it. None of it. Zero. Does it benefit me? Nothing. Because I don't understand. I don't comprehend. And by the way, when everybody's jabbering, whatever it is they're doing, and nobody understands, how can you even have an interpretation? In fact, tongues require always an interpretation to be understood, to be comprehended. So Paul's point in these verses, tongues are of no benefit by themselves. They need interpreting. Why? So that everybody can understand and everybody can be built up. But Paul has one more thing to add. Number four, in verses 20 through 25, tongues are for unbelievers. Tongues are for unbelievers. So look at verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers. No, doesn't that say it all? They're not for me. They're not for a Christian. They're not for believers, but they're for unbelievers, Paul says. But prophecy, on the other hand, which can be comprehended, is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers, for Christians. So what does Paul mean by this? You notice he uses that word, verse 22, sign. Why does he do that? Because in verse 21, right, he has made a quotation from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, verse 21, In the law it is written by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. From Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. What is that? That's an Old Testament example of a foreign language that was being spoken as a sign to Israel as they were being taken into captivity by Assyria. So the northern kingdom who rejects God, who has disobeyed God, who has been guilty of idolatry for centuries, is now suffering the consequences and the judgment of God and being taken into captivity by these Assyrians. And what do they hear? as they're being shackled and marched off to, to Assyria, they hear 
the Assyrian language being spoken by the soldiers, by the Assyrians that are all around. It was to be a sign, Isaiah says, to them that everything that God had said would come upon them was now upon them. When they heard with their ears the foreign Assyrians speaking their Assyrian language, they should know that God had accomplished what he had promised them when he said, you will go into captivity. It was true. And you know the sad thing about it, if you look at verse 21, even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Why? Because tongues condemn as a sign but prophecy commends as a sign. Prophecies of benefit to believers, tongues of no benefit to believers, but of benefit assigned to unbelievers. Now, what Paul doesn't say, but I think he implies, is that the only way an unbeliever or an outsider would prophesy from a tongue would be if he could understand it, right? I mean, imagine if you could understand, as you're taken into captivity, an Assyrian. You heard him. You would then know what was being said. You would comprehend it. So interpretation, if you want to profit from a tongue, any tongue always requires this use of interpret or the gift of interpretation. Now you see when Paul talks about an outsider, he's already mentioned verse 16. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? And now in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together, all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Those are different. An outsider is someone who doesn't gather with the church, might be a Christian that has come from somewhere else, but he doesn't speak your language. So he's an outsider. The word literally means an ignorant person. Ignorant of what? Ignorant of the language in the context. Not ignorant of knowing things, but ignorant of the language. Or unbelievers come in, which is quite plain enough, right? So the only profit that an unbeliever or an outsider would have from a tongue would be if there was interpretation so that they could comprehend. Now if you have an, un now if you have an interpretation that goes on, the unbeliever or the outsider would hear and understand because it's now been interpreted in their language and the interpretation would put the unknown tongue on the same level as prophecy that you can understand so the moment you have interpretation of the gift of tongues you have comprehension right just like if you just hear prophecy you comprehend it because it's in your known language interpretation interpretation prevents someone coming in and where chaos reigns saying this is madness or whether just tongues are being spoken this is madness why would they say this is madness because they don't understand they don't comprehend what is being said so it is tongues are only of value ultimately if there's an interpretation that is provided and given and that responds to it I mean that seems to me what Paul means in verse 23 and verse 24 right if therefore the whole church comes together, all speak in tongues, outsiders, unbelievers enters, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if, notice the contrast, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever outside, ent outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. How is that possible? Because he hears in his own language. 
He understands what's being said to him. So that, that to me seems to be that the sign of the use of tongues is to convince the unbeliever that God was among them, that God was present, but only if interpretation was given, so that they understood in their own language what was being said. Prophecy, therefore, because it leads to comprehension naturally, is said to be the greater gift. Of course, Paul's already said that in verses 1 through 5. Now, as we come to the end here, I think this is what Paul's all about in Corinth, in dealing with this whole subject. He wants people to be Christians. He wants people to be saved. His ultimate goal for an unbeliever coming into a congregation is that they would hear the word of God and that they might be saved, that they might be converted. Isn't that what we desire always? That the unbeliever would hear the word of God and be saved. Well, how would they hear? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God, understanding, comprehending, which only God can work in it. So if all prophesy, verse 24, an unbeliever and outsider enters, he's convicted. He's called to account because his heart is exposed. Now we all know not everybody's going to respond. We all understand that. But that doesn't stop us from preaching. That doesn't stop Paul from preaching. Just because the response might be pure, poor, or none at all, that doesn't stop Paul from preaching. He's prepared to just carry on preaching, sharing the gospel. So notice the process of salvation in verse 24 and verse 25. He's convicted. He's called to account. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. Do you know what exposes your heart? It's not a preacher. It's the Word of God. It's God's Word that confronts us, right? If you understand what is being said, you feel it. Now, you might not like it, and you might squirm out of the way and take, tuck your tail between your legs and head out as fast as you can, but you, you heard it. You comprehended it. You got it. You're speaking to me. I didn't like it. Or, or you might fall down on your face and say, God was there, and I believe. I believe, right? Salvation. Right? And notice the process of salvation is you have to have a conviction experience. Secrets of your heart are brought to the surface. What you've done is, is being shared by the preacher. How does he know that about me? Because we all have the same heart, right? That's how he knows. Not only that, but his condition, his sinfulness is exposed. That's what happens in the process of someone being saved. They are convicted by the word of God and their natural sinful condition is revealed to them and exposed to them and they are confronted by their guilt and their sins. And that's what Paul means by the preaching of the gospel. But that's not all the gospel is. Because you need the cross. You need Christ. You need salvation. And so this, even in the use of a spiritual gift like tongues which is a sign to unbelievers. Paul's whole goal is that they would be saved, ultimately. And that requires interpretation so that they can grasp and understand what is said. Notice, convicted by all is through everything revealed by the interpretation of the tongue and by the understanding of the prophecies that were given. I don't like my heart to be exposed it's not good it's not a good heart but Jesus is in the process of making it better Amen. it's not perfect right 
It's a work of grace. It's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Naturally, it's, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. And who can even know it or understand it? You can't even know your own heart, the Bible says. We are deceived by it. Self-deception. So, the secrets of the heart are exposed by the revelation of God's Word. Whether it's through the interpretation of the tongues or through the prophecies that are spoken in this revelatory stage, once God's Word is complete, Matthew through Revelation or Genesis through Revelation, <clears throat> once that's complete, you don't need this partial tongues, partial prophecies. They are in part, chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. They have passed away. There are those whose hearts are hardened, like Israel, going into captivity, who heard a foreign language. And even then, God says, when they heard what I said would be a sign to them, they refused to listen to me, he says. So there are people whose hearts are hard. They will not respond to the truth. They will reject the truth, like ancient Israel did, and walk away from it. But there are some, like you and me, who have heard that word and have responded to that word because the Holy Spirit gave us understanding I am a sinner and I am saved by grace and I am saved by the righteousness of Christ on the cross his righteousness for me he took my sins and he imputed his righteousness to me and now to ensure that I'm in the process of being changed he is in heaven interceding at the right hand of God to bring that about for me to ensure that it will happen so that if I die or Jesus comes, when he comes, I will be like him and I will see him and know him for who he is. So there will be some who will hear who will fall on their faces and confess that this is truly of God, a work of God. Why? Because the declaration of the truth is what is always needed Paul is saying, when you use the gifts of tongues or prophecy, it is all the communication of God's word, God's truth. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts, it's the Holy Spirit who convinces, and it's the Holy Spirit who converts us. God the Holy Spirit. That salvation comes to us through the word being preached, the word being heard. So, we know tongues are revelational, uh, prophecy is revelational, they convey through this period of change and the giving of scripture they convey the truth of God can I having said all that I want you to remember that Paul is describing what is not happening Paul is describing in Corinth here what is not happening in Corinth so the question we must ask ourselves is what was happening in Corinth that caused Paul to write verses 1 through 25 to instruct them in these four ways about tongues. Well, I'll tell you what was happening. The Corinthians believed the very opposite of what Paul says. They believed that tongues are the best gift. They believed that tongues were meant for personal private use. They believed that tongues don't require interpretation. It's for me. They believed that tongues are a sign for believers. It's all about us. That's what the Corinthians believed. Paul said, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm telling you. I believe Paul. 
I don't believe the Corinthians. I believe Paul, right? Tongues are not the best gift. Tongues benefit no one by themselves. Tongues always require interpretation. And tongues are a sign for unbelievers. That's what I believe because that's what Paul tells me, right? Why does Paul say that? Because he wants the church to be edified. He wants the Corinthians to understand. This is not about yourself. This is about the congregation. This is about a church gathered together. Because that's what he's going to talk about in verses 26 through 40. The worship of a church. When you're gathered together, this is how you should be. And so he's building up to that. This is all about what takes place in a congregation. In the use of spiritual gifts. And frankly, it doesn't matter what spiritual gift is used. It's used in the church for the congregation, for the benefit of others. You see what salvation has done? Salvation has made you useful when you were useless. Right? Salvation has done something to you that you can now contribute to the benefit of your saints, fellow saints. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? That the cross of Jesus, which is so personal and so private and so real, the outworking of what has changed in me is for the benefit and for the good of my fellow believers. That's spiritual gifts. That's what they're for. So salvation lies behind the giving of spiritual gifts by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. This Trinitarian beautiful gifts that have been given to us so that we might commune with each other in fellowship and see each other built up in our most holy faith. So may the Lord help us to be like that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. And we thank you for, for these difficult verses that are before us. Help us, we pray, to continue to study them and give us wisdom and give us understanding and give us light that we might comprehend your word and apply it to our own day and our own time. Thank you, Father, for the spiritual gifts you've given to us, but thank you especially for the word of God, final, complete authority for us in our daily life. We bless you and we praise you for the scriptures. We humble ourselves before them. We receive them. We believe them. We confess them, we preach them, we share them, we testify to them. Thank you for your revelation, this final revelation, which is eclipsed in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal word who has come to us in flesh. So help us to understand these things. Thank you for the great salvation you've given to us through the cross. May each one of us here this morning know and understand the work of Christ that he accomplished for their sins on the cross. So we bless you and we praise you and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Will you take the insert?